0: a glass of wine with dinner
1: this is bc radio live with philip and eric live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bc radio aloha the chat room is now open the video feed is now running and we are live it is boxing day december 26 2007 and we're wrapping up the year at bc magazine we're going to open the phone lines tonight and take all callers at 646-595-3195 or stop by the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. I am Philip Wynne, Chief Geek at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight by Lisa McKay, BC Magazine's Executive Editor. Welcome back to the show, Lisa.
0: Well, thank you, Philip. I hope you've had a pleasant Christmas.
1: Oh indeed I have. I hope that uh, the uh, mythical being of your choice brought you everything that your heart desired.
0: <laughs> mythical being of my choice certainly did. We've got uh, <laughs> we've got lots of great stuff under our tree. Um yes, we actually do put up a Christmas tree. Mm. And uh we've got books and DVDs and all sorts of great things to look forward to. So I'm very glad that I don't have to go back to work until January 7th so I can enjoy some of it.
1: Well, that must be nice. Uh, re- regular listeners will note that we are not joined tonight by Eric Olson, the publisher and founder of BC Magazine. He had seasonal obligations, let's call them, but uh, I'm delighted to have you here instead and I'm hoping we can have you almost every week from now on. Wouldn't that be exciting?
0: That would be exciting and I'm hoping to have it on my calendar pretty consistently.
1: Excellent. Well, it has been an amazing year at BC Magazine. We've gone through ah, a lot of changes this year. It was kind of interesting uh, just this afternoon to, to think back to the beginning of 2007 and realize you know, how different things are. We've, we've published more than 1,000 articles a month, every month, consistently, all year, except for December so far, but we've got another week to go. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll cross that, cross that mark at last. And they've been in just about every section. They've been reviews, opinions, interviews, uh, even a few satirical pieces sneak through, lots of news. Um, We've covered, I think, just about every subject, just about every topic, with just about every style of writing. And we've had standouts. We've had, obviously, low points. Um, We've talked a little bit about some of the biggest things that have happened uh, to to blog critics. Uh, Blog World Expo was a huge thing. Uh, we all met up in Las Vegas. It was it was BC Magazine's second annual Las Vegas ConFab, but it was the uh, first year for Blog World Expo and that was incredibly exciting.
0: It really was fun and I think it um, I think it was kind of exciting for well for me personally, uh not just because it's so cool to meet all of all of us in person, but I think it was sort of the first time i actually had this real sense that oh we really are a part of this much larger universe you know to just sort of be out there talking with other people who do what we do and right that was just really great
1: yeah i mean it was it was interesting I, the previous year we'd gotten together and it'd been kind of fun to to meet up with people and and put faces to names but it was it was somewhat casual it was the very first time that uh you and I met, it was the very first time actually I met Eric, despite you know the site at this point was uh, was more than four years old, and we finally, finally for the first time met face to face. So yeah, it was exciting, but this year it definitely took it to a new level. Definitely. And then of course, Blog Talk Radio is also new, and uh, it's hard to believe actually, it's only been a few weeks, this is uh, our fourth episode I think, fifth episode, something like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that that's it's been it's been a lot of stuff happening at the end of the year, and I think it's great because we're we're approaching 2008 with uh, momentum, I, I suppose is the word people use. We've got we've got a lot of things lined up. We've got people really kicking into high gear. The BC Radio Network is is huge and growing.
0: That's uh, for people, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we're up to 14 shows right now. People can find out more details about the, all the different shows on the BC Radio Network at blogcritics.org slash bcradio. And, of course, this show is just one of them. In fact, with the holidays this uh, this week, several shows are taking the, the week off. In fact, uh, one of them I know is the sports show, Treehouse Fort. They, uh, they took off or they, they ran early on Monday, and then they're taking off next week for New Year's Eve. I, I guess people aren't expected to tune in to Internet radio late on New Year's Eve. But fortunately, we're going to have Matt Sussman call in in a little while. We'll ask him a little bit about recapping the year in uh, in sports, recapping 2007. And um, I, I did a little poking around the site earlier this afternoon and, and found out we've got, some, we've got some information about music. We've got people recapping, doing their best of lists. Uh, we've got information on books.
0: We've got the uh, the film uh, best of 2007 list in the works. I actually uh, chose to run that a little bit late this month because, as you know, an awful lot of theatrical releases come out at Christmas time. That's so right. I wanted to make sure all the writers had a chance to see what they were going to see uh, before they made their final picks. And uh, those are those are starting to trickle in. So uh, hopefully. Uh, by the end of this week, uh, you'll get to find out what our our multitudes of film writers have chosen as the best films of 2007. I know well, I went I know the best, but it's a secret until the column comes out.
1: Oh no no no! Come on, you can give us a hint.
0: Um, well, I can I I I could give you a hint, um, but I won't. I'm I'm
1: Oh!
0: <laughs> oh, the torture.
1: Well, I guess I guess we'll have to check
0: have back to daily. It.
1: Do you, do you have a schedule on when that uh, article is coming out? I want to set a timer.
0: Um, no, you can't set a timer. i uh, asked ah. ask for all of the submissions to be back to me by tomorrow. So okay. hopefully if, if that actually happens and I don't have to chase people down post-holiday, uh, you can certainly look for the piece to be up by the end of this week. Oh,
1: good. Before the new year then.
0: Yeah, and it's been an exciting year in film, so I'm very interested to see who's chosen what.
1: I figured it would be tough to come up with a list. I know when I sat down to make my uh, my Christmas list of of DVDs, I wouldn't mind getting for Christmas. It, it turned out that there were there were quite a few of those as well. Uh, we do have a we do have a caller on the line, and I mentioned that we would be opening the phone lines and taking all callers. So, uh, uh, person from the area code seven three four, you are on the line on BC Radio Live.
2: Oh, you know who I am. This is Matt Sussman.
1: Yes, I know who you are. I recognize the number.
2: You can well, pretend like you don't know me, but you know we all know.
1: Yes, yes, we know. We can smell Matt coming from miles away, <laughs> even over the phone, even over the internet.
2: Well, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Hey, thanks for having me. And I, I just wanted to uh, say you had it the other way around. We didn't do a show. Yes, we didn't do a show on Monday, and we were That's doing right. an early show on New Year's Eve at three p.m.
1: 3 p.m. on New Year's Eve, so people need to tune in at 3 p.m. Instead of, I suppose, if they show up at 8 o'clock, they really have nothing better to do. They can catch it
2: on archives. Technically, much- they're technically they're not going to lose out anything except for being able to call in and and, and be in the chat room. There
1: you go. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. Well, we've been talking about the uh, best of 2007, and uh, since you're you're our sports go-to guy, quite knowledgeable on a number of other subjects, I, I should point out for the benefit of uh, listeners who don't actually deal with, with Matt by email on a daily basis, <laughs> he, he considers himself to be knowledgeable on just about every topic, but he is especially conversant with the world of sports. So in 2007, I want to ask you, Matt, with only one week to go, can we go can we go right to the big one? No, let's start with the low point of the year. What would you say is the worst sports moment of two thousand
2: seven uh well, I think it's more of a theme than rather a specific incident, but um obviously uh the word has been steroids um obviously with the Mitchell report that you know came out about a week ago or two weeks ago um with all you know um all the names in baseball that apparently received uh supplements uh growth hormone, uh, amphetamines from this one guy. Um, that's sh- that was just sort of the icing on the cake of all these stories. I think the one that really stood out with all these steroid stories was Marion Jones, the track star who, after so many uh, years of, of denying any sort of link, you know, her, her former, uh, uh husband was, uh, I think banned from Olympic activity and, uh, then finally, this year she finally came out and said that she did lie to authorities that she used them, and she said she did use them, and she's retiring from track. And I, for one, believed her for some reason all these years, and then then she comes out. But so it's it kind of uh, it was really disheartening. But um, I think now I think most fans are are no longer sort of naive to the fact that there is some sort of illegal drug activity going on in pretty much every single sport. So hopefully they can just. You know, sort of build on some kind of solution from here on out.
1: Yeah, the Marion Jones thing really surprised me. I, I just I had I had even forgotten about the accusations. I believed her so thoroughly that one. Right. That one really hurt. Right. Well, let's let's try to look past some of the, the negative. We actually have a comment in the chat room who suggests that the uh, kickoff
2: of the Treehouse, treehouse <laughs> Sport Radio Show was, was possibly the low moment in sports in 2007. <laughs> Uh, for some reason, I actually have no argument with that. But uh, <laughs> the the debut, the debut. But however, it's gotten better since the debut. Just oh, I
1: thought I thought was it was easy. actually I thought it was pretty impressive from week one. So I I, I think you're doing a great job for all the teasing. Well, <laughs> let's let's ask about some feel good sports stories then. Um, I, I know that you've got a, a special story that that you care about that probably no one else does. But let's see if you can make us care, Matt.
2: Um, okay, it, it was sometime around mid-March. It's the uh, It was the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament, Bowling Green versus Vanderbilt. And uh, I, for one, was on the road working in uh, central Indiana. And I was not able to watch this game on TV because they decided to show the Notre Dame game instead because obviously I'm in Indiana and they want to show Notre Dame. So I drove a half hour out of nowhere to a sports bar I've never heard of on a Tuesday night, just to watch this game, I had a piece of paper in hand as to which channel on satellite TV it had. Sure enough, it had the game. I watched, it pretty much the, the sports bar was dead, and I was pretty much the only guy there watching a women's basketball game. But uh, Bowling Green was, you know, obviously that's where I went to school, so they are sort of my favorite team. They were actually really good that year. They went like 27-3 and in the regular season. They were a 10-seed. They were playing a uh, second-seed at Vanderbilt, and they upset them in the... Uh, second rounds, it was, it was one of the greatest games i 've seen this year, and it really opened my eyes to women 's basketball. It really was a, a very fun uh, sport to watch, so that's, the, that's the sport that 's the story that I care about that probably no one else does. The
1: year that Matt Sussman discovered women 's basketball <laughs> it 's not, not all elbows and knees there 's some real sportsmanship sports personship going on out there on the court. Mm-hmm. I, I've been pretty impressed by a couple of games I caught. I, I, I would say I've been as impressed by women's basketball as by men's basketball. Neither of them get me out of bed in the morning, I'm sorry to say.
2: <laughs>
1: I guess that's why we have people writing about sports who care.
0: <laughs> well, what about,
1: what about people who who didn't uh, chase down Bowling Green's women's basketball team in in a strange town? What, what's the, what would you say is the feel-good sports story of 2007?
2: I think, similarly, it was another upset, and it happened, I think, back in, it was either late August or September, but it was uh, football. Appalachian State over uh, University of Michigan, uh, coming into the season, Michigan was ranked number five in football. Now, Appalachian State was no pushover. They were de- uh, defending champions in their own subdivision, however that was, you know, formally called 1AA, so they're obviously considered to be uh, not as strong and not as deep and not as quick as the... Division one A, but Appalachian State uh, upset them by I think two points. And obviously, you know, App State went on to win their championship this year and uh, Michigan is playing a bowl game on New Year's Day, so uh but Michigan really took a, a hit. But it was it was just one of the great upset stories because after it happened people kept talking about it for I would say pretty much the entire season.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they. Uh, they. I. I remember hearing about that, like peripherally, barely involved in sports as I am. I remember hearing a bit about that. That is. Uh, that is, in fact, a good story. we talked a little bit about Bowling Green, Appalachia, Michigan. Let's talk about bad luck in championship games.
2: I think it all pretty much revolves around teams from the state of Ohio, because they. <laughs> they. You know, they. They say that when you're second place, you're first loser. Um, Ohio had a lot of uh, runners-up in these championship games, even Ohio State themselves. um, They lost the BCS championship game way back in January to Florida, and then in March they lost the basketball championship to the same uh, team, University of Florida. Women's soccer lost to Wake Forest. Cleveland Cavaliers, they got pretty much killed in the NBA Finals by the Spurs, and then... Uh, Division III, uh, Mount Union University, it's like one county away from the mighty Olson Compounds. Uh, they had a 37-game winning streak going into the championship game this year, uh, and they lost to Wisconsin Whitewater, which is a team that they beat the last two years in that same national championship game, and I think they lost by about 10 points. It, it was not a great year for Ohio. I mean, obviously a lot of good teams, but a lot of coming up short and a lot of uh, national embarrassment, really.
1: Wow. Well, let's let's talk about a special award in 2007. Every year it seems like we have uh, owners and coaches making fools of themselves. I I heard a bit on NPR today, actually, about uh, European "quote unquote" football owners uh, ranked in terms of ridiculousness. Um, But I, I know that here in the states, and we've got. Just a, a real tendency for people to go off the charts, just completely lose it, and
2: be recorded.
1: Do you, uh, do you have any nominations, any ideas about who you think has the uh, tirade of the year?
2: It doesn't top last year's award, which I think goes to Dennis Green, from uh, who, who coached the Arizona Cardinals with a fire at the end of the year after he blew a game and he just stood at the podium and he was like, Chicago Bears, who we thought they were. We let them off the hook and all that stuff. It was it, it, it turned into a Coors Light commercial. This year, though, uh, Oklahoma State football coach Mike Gundy had probably the best tirade, which was obviously on YouTube and got a lot of hits. But uh, he was responding uh, after a game to an article in the Oklahoma newspaper that a uh, lady named Jenny Carlson wrote about his quarterback and apparently how he was... Uh, Eating his mother's homemade chicken soup, and was kind of you know scared to play. And obviously, Gundy was trying to defend him, and saying you know he does all the little things right, and why are you like coming down on him hard just because he's he's not that great and in uh, he didn't play a great game. He, here's here's what he said. Let's take a listen. Yes, yeah, listen. If you want to go after an athlete, one of my athletes, you go after one that doesn't do the right things. You don't downgrade him because he does everything right and may not play as well on Saturday. And you let us make that decision. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. Attacking an amateur athlete for doing everything right. And then you want to write articles about guys that don't do things right and downgrade them, the ones that do make plays. Are you kidding me?
1: We you know, it, it's actually sobering to think that editors should be held responsible for letting articles come out. Um, hmm, we'll have to we'll have to think that through in terms of
2: editorial policy. The, the best the best part though in that line is where he says, "You know, write about me. I'm a man. I'm 40. <laughs> the best line. Oh, he's forty years old. Uh, apparently, that uh, congratulations. Uh, and then people obviously did write things about him after that.
1: Well, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's let's work our way uh, through 2007. Who would you say is the dumbest athlete of the year?
2: <laughs> a lot of nominations and um, a crowded Michael... field. <laughs> I think Michael Vick's a good candidate, obviously because uh, getting arrested for dog fighting. However, and I'm not want to take anything from his idiocy. Um, that was one incident, and and there were a couple others uh, apparently getting stopped in the airport. Uh, With a water bottle, which had a little secret compartment, which had some kind of strange herb, which they were never able to confirm what that was. Michael Vick's an idiot, but I think superseding him, is uh, Tennessee Titans cornerback, Adam Pacman Jones, who, he, okay, well... There was the famous Las Vegas uh, strip club shooting incident. He got on stage and took some dollar bills and made it rain. A stripper went to pick up some of the money. He got mad and attacked her because apparently she wasn't able to keep it, it was only for show. And then after they left, I think some, uh, one of his entourage members came back and shot the bouncer, and now he's paralyzed. Uh, there was another shooting involving uh, Pac Man's entourage in Atlanta. He was arrested a couple times for uh, spitting on women. A real classy guy, but I think the best part was after all this happened, and he was supposed to meet with NFL Commissioner uh, Roger Goodell to discuss his uh, disciplinary actions and regarding all this stuff. The night before he went there, uh, he was he went to a strip club, and uh, and then he was suspended for the season. This is a man who should stay away from women completely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I think most women would would be happy if that were to happen. Pretty much. Well, let, let's talk about the, uh, the best game by an athlete of the year for 2007.
2: And I remember watching this, um, this and I'm going to go with uh, LeBron James when he played the Detroit Pistons. I think it was the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think it was Game 5. He had 48 points and 9 rebounds and 7 assists, and the rebounds and assists are nice. But what's really startling about this uh, was that he scored the team's final 25 points. He scored the game, which obviously means he scored the game-winning basket. He, which means he scored all of the points in the two overtimes they played. And winning this game, they went on to win Game Six. It was, and, and LeBron James is a 22-year-old kid. I mean, he's younger than me. You, you think, Phil? You think I'm young? He's younger than me, and he's and he's carrying a team to the NBA Finals. Now, obviously, he couldn't do that against San Antonio because, well, San Antonio is a great team. But, I mean, I was impressed just watching him. I, my jaw, I, I caught myself, my jaw actually dropped. You think it's just a figure of speech, but I was just watching this guy. I could not believe the way he just tore through a very experienced Detroit Pistons team like that.
1: Yeah, I saw the highlights of that game, and it was, I mean, it was unbelievable. They say basketball is a team sport, and I think he was doing his best to disprove that that night. <laughs> Everybody exist, Everybody else existed just to look bad compared to LeBron James. It was amazing. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs>
2: all
0: right. Well, what about
1: the team
2: of the year? What what
1: team reigns supreme for
2: two thousand seven? Yeah, there, there was a lot of candidates because you just look at all of the teams that won uh, championships, and you start with you know Indianapolis Colts, um, and then you know Florida Gators that won the both football and basketball. San Antonio Spurs won, the Boston Red Sox won, and the Anaheim Ducks uh, won the Stanley Cup. I'm going to go uh, much younger though, and I'm going to go with the Warner Robins Georgia Little League team, which won the Little League World Series against Japan in uh, quite dramatic fashion. They won on a walk off home run against Japan. Uh, and I think they, I forget the final score, but obviously. Um, the final score doesn't matter, but I think what's really cool about this whole thing is I don't know how many of those kids are going to be playing professional uh, baseball. Maybe a couple, maybe one or two, but I, but you know they're always going to have that. And then I, I think I read on Fox Sports that after the game, that the the kids from Georgia and the kids from Japan they didn't just exchange handshakes, but they exchanged emails and and MySpaces or whatever they have now these days. And uh, hopefully, I think they're they're still like talking, you know, like. Uh, new Age pen pals, so a really good sportsmanship, and it's a really good story. Whatever the kids have nowadays, Matt? Whatever these newfangled kids and their cell phones and their fax machines, whatever they have. Well, this
1: is, this is truly amazing. The sports editor for BC Magazine just chose a Little League team as the Team of the Year for 2007. There you go on on purpose and everything. No, no, that's uh that's that's the kind of that's the kind of that's the kind of content you get when you tune into Treehouse Sport. Now one one last thing before you go now, Matt, um I've mentioned that Treehouse Sport is actually a a fantastic show, listening to you guys, you know, uh discuss things about which I, I know little, my poor puny caveman brain can't quite comprehend it all. <laughs> I, Anybody who's listened and thought, gosh, it's a shame this show only goes an hour. I wish, I wish it could go longer. Do you, do you have any any good news for us, any hint of anything to come?
2: Well, I could say that there's a very strong chance that uh, myself and my co-host Tuffy may be expanding this uh, program, this fine program, to a Friday episode as well at the same time, 8, 7 central. Just a rumor, obviously, but starting... Uh, Starting the new year, this is a very strong likelihood. And why am I saying strong? It's got, we're doing a second show on Friday, okay? That's there, there exactly right. There, there it is. I'm going to let it out of the bag. Uh, I, we haven't decided if it's going to be the 1st January or the following one, but I think it's going to be the 1st January. Uh, I think that's the 4th? 4th, January 4th. Wow, and that was just a complete guess. So I think January 4th we're going to break out to our Friday edition and and we yeah we've got a tons of of great regular panelists that because we have so many of them they have to rotate like every three weeks but hopefully we can get people on uh... more more regularly this time so there you have it
1: Uh, tune in this monday this coming monday at 3 p.m. that 3 p.m. eastern
2: 3 p.m. eastern we're going to we're going to finish our college football bowl preview and we're going to hand out some of uh... Some, award, some arbitrary awards that I just handed out. We're calling them the Tilde Awards, and you'll understand when you tune in why they're called the Tilde Awards. That's lovely. So that is
1: December 31st, this Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and then tune in on the following Friday, January 4th, for the debut of the Treehouse Fort Friday Edition at 8 p.m. Eastern. Out of sight. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Matt. Uh, as always, it is a pleasure to talk to you, and I uh, appreciate the wonderful work you do hosting, co-hosting Treehouse Sport with
2: Tuffy. Thanks, Philip. And Lisa, you, you've been quite quiet over there, and uh, I'll say a quick hi and bye to you as well.
0: Well, hi, Matt, and you know perfectly well that when it comes to talking sports, I just have to go sit in the corner and, <laughs> and you know, let the people who actually – no such stuff. Talk about it. This is, like, totally over my head and out of my league. I, well, I,
1: I, I just revel in my ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> well, so do we.
0: <laughs>
1: wow. Wow. With that, I'm definitely muting Matt. That's unbelievable. Oh. No, that's absolutely true. I, I don't follow any sport but hockey, and even that only tentatively these days. I, in fact, I, I, I struggle to find what, ex, what uh, subject it is on, on which I'm an expert these days. Now, you, Lisa, on the other hand, you've got lots of expertise. In fact, uh, in addition to being the executive editor, where you oversee everything, herd the, herd the cats in terms of writers and er, editors, as we like to say, um, you also dabble quite heavily in a couple of different sections.
0: Well, primarily, primarily film, uh, which is my, my, my first love. And um, I'm not so sure I would actually call it expertise as much as I would <laughs> call it uh deep, deep and abiding affection um I've been a movie fan since I was a little kid, and i've I've never stopped watching, and it's still one of my all time favorite things to do and it's just uh it's one of those things that's great because uh It can be a very, you know, solitary kind of thing where you just want to curl up on the couch by yourself and watch. Or uh, you can go to a movie with your friends or watch with your family and then discuss it afterwards. And I
2: don't know. There's
0: just so much good things to say about the movies. And this really has been a great year. There's been some fantastic theatrical releases. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. so like I said, I'm really looking forward to seeing what our writers come up with. Um, I'm always interested to see how many people pick the same film. Um, right. I, I've got a very small end to work with thus far, and so far that hasn't happened. So I am really kind of curious to see what the other folks are going to come in with.
1: Uh, yeah, um, I was noticing when going through some of the music picks, we've had a bunch of music picks already from a lot of different writers, and I noticed that there, there actually wasn't a lot of overlap. And I was kind of surprised to see it
0: well, I think it 's partly because with the music picks, um, it seemed to me this year that um, some folks really sort of stuck more to genre
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and in the film, that certainly doesn 't happen, I think as much as it does in music, although it could I mean if somebody you know wanted to put together a list of the best you know horror releases or the best independent releases that 's certainly doable. but I think by and large. People just tend to pick from, you know, everything that they've seen throughout the year. And um, the, getting back to the music lists, though, those those really have been interesting. And I have to say that um, a lot of the stuff on the lists I've, I've not heard yet, but certainly uh, reading some of the descriptions of them uh, has really piqued my interest quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I found going through, well, I'm going through movie lists this year and and music lists. I I find myself thinking, well, you know, I've heard maybe one-third, one-fourth, one-fifth. How can it be in the age of Internet and and all music always online all the time? I've never heard of, gosh, let's see here, to pick, pick some random selections from Chris Beaumont's article, My Favorite Albums of 2007, Not a Best Of List how could i possibly not have heard anything by polka dot cadaver or <laughs> <laughs> or Cosmo squad yeah uh, maybe I, I need to get into more death metal or, or or maybe not but uh anybody looking for a list of what he what he refers to as great music it's not uh, not my chosen genre but uh he's got picks from tomahawk uh dream theater megadeth horse the band lonely china day polka dot cadaver mm-hmm. Their purgatory dance party is apparently will draw you in and hold you in its thrall. Uh, Iced Earth, As I Lay Dying, Devil Driver, Sebastian Bach, Devil Townsend, Cosmo Squad, I'm sorry, that's Devin Townsend, and uh, with his album, Ziltoid the Omniscient. That's apparently a concept album. And the Alex Skolnick Trio. The, the, The interesting part is that I've heard of maybe... One, is there six of those bands out of that long list. Fortunately, not every article needs to depend on any editor's knowledge of anything. We, that's <laughs> what Google's for.
0: I, I, think I've, I think I've heard of a few of them primarily because I think I've, I've edited some, some reviews of, of a couple of those artists and probably reviews that Chris himself has written. Uh, that's so
1: probably that's, the case. That's, now, that's I will to pick
0: up a lot of my knowledge.
1: I was excited to go through the list and find a certain quite popular artist not represented very often on very many lists. I think you know who I'm talking
0: about. I might.
1: Yeah, but,
0: might. Uh,
1: but yeah, I I figured he'd top uh, Josh Hathaway's list. He's got the the B sides concept album show on on Thursdays nights, and he actually picked uh he actually picked someone else. He picked Peter Karp, who was a guest on his show recently. Peter Carp's album Shadows and Cracks.
0: Yeah, he, he um he surprised me too. I was uh I was pretty sure that uh, that Josh would have picked Bruce. Um on the other hand, um, Glenn Boyd uh did pick uh Bruce as his best album of the year in the um in the editors, the uh, music editors best of
1: Indeed artist. he did. Bruce Springsteen's magic.
0: Yeah. And um I have to say that um, I, I certainly am not in a position to, to pick a, a best of list, only because I, I don't have enough, um, I don't have a big enough universe to pick from. I've, I've got not a lot of comparison, um, but I, I do love that album a lot, and um, it's certainly on, on the top of my list of best things to have happened in, in 2007,
1: media-wise. Wow, wow, now that's, that's, that's a tall list. Yeah, we had actually, the the BC Magazine music editors uh, got together and compiled their uh, list of best albums, each of them a different album. Josh Hathaway did pick uh, Peter Carp's Shadows and Cracks. Uh, I, was, I was pretty impressed with the interview with Peter Karp and then uh, looked up a little bit of his work. And uh, I have to say, I, I completely understand Josh's pick there. And it looks like, in fact, um, I have papers all over the place. Okay, there we go. It looks like Josh Hathaway may be waiting on the line here to try to defend his demotion of Bruce Springsteen to the number two slot. Josh, is that you? It is, it is. Good evening, folks. Welcome to BC Radio Live. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I'm probably going to catch hell for this. My uh, cell phone minutes are already through the roof, but um, since this show has, as all good things, become all about me, I I thought that I should call in and play along. Oh, I don't know. I've got a mute button handy, and I'm not afraid to use it. (laughs) <laughs> I'll keep that in mind, sir. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what. Some years, like last year, Guster was an easy choice for me for my album of the year. This year was really, really, really tough um, because the Springsteen record is phenomenal. And I loved the Peter Carp one. And in the end, part of my decision, I'll admit, I was a little bit influenced by... Um, Picking up for the little guy, um, an artist who's on an independent label, um, hasn't gotten as much run. And, um, you know, I, I was going to do it even before I got to talk to Peter myself, but, um, that, that interview even kind of solidified it even more for me. And, um, it was really tough for me to not pick Springsteen number one, but he's a very, very close second. And, um, while I was rapping presents this week, I spent some time listening to Magic once again, and um, I'd put it in my top three or four Springsteen records, and, and that's pretty high praise for me. I love it. Yeah, I wish I could stick up for The Killers as, as uh, being the number one album, but, but it was actually a bunch of filler and B-sides. I, I quite enjoyed the album, but I can guess I can understand it not quite hitting number one on anyone's list. It's a good thing I don't have the mute button. What is it <laughs> between two fans and The Killers? Uh, well, I'm a huge fan of The Killers as well. So, I tell you what, you ca- you got to catch them live if they come to town. Even if you're just so-so on the music, they put on a live show just unlike just about any other. Oh, now, so, uh, if only so I can punch Brendan Flowers. <laughs> uh, he, he works it, doesn't he?
2: Now, Connie My Phillips, Philips,
1: yes. Connie Phillips picked Paul McCartney's Memory Almost Full, actually, as her uh, best album of 2007, uh, an opinion she held basically from June through December. Any comment on that from either one of you?
0: Um, I thought it was an interesting pick. Um, Connie's probably listened to a lot more uh, new releases than I have. Um, I've heard a track or two off of this album. I've not listened to the whole thing. Um... And I, I have I have a, a confession to make as as someone who uh, who really came of musical age as the Beatles were coming to the American shores. Um, I'm not that big of a Paul McCartney fan, which isn't to say that I don't appreciate the enormous impact that he's had on on music, um, but he's not an artist that gets. Uh, any rotation time in my CD player. So there you have it.
1: I actually reviewed that record, and I think it's a good record. I I reviewed it for for BC Magazine, and I think I commented um, I put together the editor's picks, um, the music editor's picks this year. I actually liked his previous record, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, a little bit better than this one um, after I Posted the article today i listened a little bit more to memory almost full again because i hadn't listened to it in a little while and um it's very pleasant very tuneful uh there are some good songs on it but um i thought chaos and creation was a little bit more adventurous a record this one really plays to paul's strengths which means you can listen through to most of it there are one or two songs and he'll do it every time that are a little bit lame but um It's mostly very pleasant, and I like it, but I didn't love it. It's one of those that I'd probably give an honorable mention to, but I doubt it would make my top ten list. Connie picked, I think, the uh, Donald Fagan record last year. Um, From what I can tell from some of the artists she reviews, um, she seems to have a pretty wide swath of classic rock that runs through her listening, and it's a good record, but um, it hasn't dominated my listening. Well, how about A.L. Harper's pick, a Fine Frenzies album, One Cell in the Sea? Have either one of you heard that? Um, I know Mark went and sampled a couple of tracks. Um, Ms. Harper listens to a lot of indie music, a lot of stuff that I've heard, a lot of stuff that I've never heard, and um, her taste runs the more eclectic pop. I don't know much about it, but I do plan to at least sample a few tracks.
0: I've not heard it, and I have to say that her description of it really makes me interested in in giving some of it a listen. Reminding
1: you of Bjork, Aqualung, and Radiohead in terms?
0: Yeah, and what's really funny is that I don't particularly care for um, either Bjork or Radiohead most of the time. So Hmm. uh, the fact that I'm actually interested in, in hearing this is probably a, a real testimony to her descriptive power in this, in this review, which I think is, is really great.
1: Well, Nancy Dunham picked Ryan Shaw's debut album, This Is Ryan Shaw. Uh, I the, love titles like that, like, you know, Who Is Jill Scott and This Is Ryan Shaw. Those, those titles just, they crack me up every time I see one of them.
0: <laughs> now,
1: have you, guys, have you guys heard any of this with a taste of classic Motown?
0: I've not heard any of it. I do like classic Motown. Uh, so I don't know if uh, if this would fit the bill or not, but it's something I would probably be interested in listening to. Because I mean, also
1: picked it as her number one, I would probably check it out, but um, classic Motown isn't something that... Um, you know, you can't say with all the classics that came out of Motown that you don't like any of it. I like some of it, and, and some of it quite a lot, but it's not a genre or style that I listen to with great regularity Hmm. well we also have uh, we have a bunch of other lists published on BC Magazine we've got Indie Music Junkies year end best of list by Eric Welchel now I thought this was kind of interesting he ran through some best of concerts worst of concerts Elvis Costello and Bob Dylan October 22nd 2007 he picked that as a worst uh, he picked it as a best of and worst of both. Elvis Costello did a good job, and he was not impressed with Bob Dylan's performance.
0: Yeah, I, I read that with a great deal of interest, because um, we caught we caught Bob and Elvis this fall uh, while they were on that tour, and um, if you, most people who know me know that I'm a, a huge Elvis Costello fan, so the fact that he was opening for Dylan was, was uh, no deterrent to us, and... Uh, <laughs> This is the third time I've seen Dylan in the past couple of years, and it's, it's, really, it's really kind of an odd experience. He's, um, I mean, he's Dylan, for one thing. So, you know, it's, it, there's something so, sort of awe-inspiring about just sort of seeing him, um, but his, his performing style nowadays really leaves a lot to be desired. Um, his band is fantastic. I mean, the whole thing is put together very, very tightly. Um, he has absolutely no rapport with the audience whatsoever. In fact, the, um, all three times that I've seen him recently, the only time that he speaks to the audience is to introduce the band, and that happens pretty much at the end of the show. Um, He sets his keyboards up so that he's actually facing sideways on stage, so he's not even making a whole bunch of eye contact with the audience. And um, there's something about that that I just find very off-putting. And Costello, of course, has made this career turnaround from, uh, you know, his younger days when he would, you know, probably just as soon throw something at the audience or curse and storm off stage. Um, and he's, you know, morphed into this incredibly gracious performer who, you know, puts 110% of himself into just about every performance. So I'd really have to agree with Eric's assessment that Costello was definitely the high point of of uh, of that tour.
1: Yeah, I find myself coming around on Elvis Costello. I, I never really cared much for him in the past, and... I think what happened is I started to read his lyrics rather than hear him, mm-hmm. and I, I fell in love with his songwriting, and then now going back and listening to some of the same songs, I'm appreciating them a lot more.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he is quite, uh, I've had some really uh, great, great conversations about Elvis with our, our books editor, Gordon Hauptfleisch, who's also a, a huge Costello fan, and um you know, I've I've always had the sense that if Costello hadn't been a, a songwriter, he would have been a writer. Um, right. He's an incredibly literate and articulate person, and um, I I just uh, I you know I love the way he gets at all of that stuff without so much as a drop of uh, sappy sentimentality or or anything else that you really don't want to hear in a song. Most right. Of the time.
1: Now, uh, Eric Welchel picked as his top three favorite albums of the year. He actually ranked them bronze, silver, and gold. For the bronze, he picked Arcade's, Arcade Fire's Neon Bible. For silver, he gave it to Andrew Bird's Armchair Apocrypha. And then his gold medal album of the year went to The National and their album Boxer heard the arcade fire album and i can definitely agree that it, it it ranks as one of the top three albums of the year especially if you're limiting to, to indies i've not heard the other two either of you uh, familiar with andrew bird or the national uh, no i'm like you the only one of that list that i'd heard is the arcade fire record and it was pleasant but it didn't just blow the doors off for me um a coworker of mine let me listen to his copy. I listened to it. It was good, but it's not something that I turned around and went out and bought right away, right after it came out.
0: Yeah, I've not heard either of the other two either, but I like the Arcade Fire very much.
1: Great. Well, we talked about A.L. Harper's number one pick earlier, uh, A Fine Frenzy's album, One Cell in the Sea. She's actually got a list of her top ten albums for the year. She uh, she lists Josh Stone's introducing Josh Stone another one of those album titles that you like Josh. Yeah, um, Josh Stone doesn't cut it for me. I keep thinking that she'd starve if she had to come up in the same era with the people that she's. Um, well, I won't say ripping off. I'll be a little bit kinder. Uh, the people who are her influences, but um, people to whom she's paying homage. Yes, a lot of people are crazy about her. Um, it just it doesn't get it done for me. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed uh, Mind, Body, and Soul. Um, I, I have to say I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as impressed with introducing Joss Stone as I was her, her previous album. Another another pick from AL was uh, Colby Kay- Kayat's uh, Coco. Uh, she also liked Gem's Finally Woken, which I, I really want to take up grammatically. Bat for Lashes, Fur and Gold. That was a pretty interesting record. Really? Okay. I've only heard a couple of songs off of it. Um, Tom York, actually, he did one of those iTunes playlist things, and he had a song from that, and I went and uh, checked it out because, uh, unlike Lisa, I'm a, I'm a huge Radiohead guy, and um, I... Interesting, interesting. I like that one. I'd like to pick up the whole record. Um, I actually tried getting a review copy of it when it was only available in Britain and, and got shot down. Apparently, um, BC Magazine's global reach was lost on this PR person, but uh, <laughs> it's got U.S. distribution now, I'm pretty sure, and that's one I'm going to be on the lookout for. She also likes Sons of Williams' album, What Hides Inside. Uh, an album by the Ruse. They're live at the Viper Room EP. Now I've actually heard a bit of that one and uh it was it was energetic. <laughs> no, I, I was I was impressed. I mean it was um it wasn't uh, you know hard rocking but uh it was they definitely had a lot of energy and it was uh I think she describes it as punchy and I, I think that's good. I, I quite like the sound. She also talked about Dan Ferrari's album, Don't Let It Fall. The Carey Brothers with Who You Are and Dan Wilson's album Free Life. That is a great record. I, I wrote a review of that one and you know it's funny um, a lot of people when I make mention that Dan Wilson is the uh, lead singer, the former lead singer of the band Semisonic most people know the song Closing Time and that either was a turn on or a turn off and what I've been trying to convince people of is don't let semisonic or closing time um, recommend or dissuade you from the record because this album doesn't sound anything like it uh, very organic record um, some exquisite songwriting Rick Rubin uh, was the executive producer of it and um, lyrically it's terrific musically very very good and that one is very likely to show up near the back end of my top ten of the year. really like that record a lot.
0: Will we, your,
1: will we see your top ten of two thousand and seven before the end of the year? Well, I'm, you know even though I don't think anything is going to come out here in the last week to change my mind. I'm one of these curmudgeonly old school people who thinks that you should wait until the body's dead to have the funeral. So my top 10 list will come out in early 2008. And, you know, I was comfortable calling Peter Carp my album of the year to the extent that it barely beat out Bruce Springsteen. But um, here in the next week or two, my top 10 will show up. And um, we'll probably, you know, kind of like we're doing right now on, on a, very in the very near future on the b-sides concept album program on a thursday night we'll um we'll probably put together a panel and you know kind of do something similar to this but uh dan wilson will show up very good well you know tuesdays are new album release days and and so that means that yesterday was the last issue of new releases for the year you're you're safe Yes, I am safe, so now I will be, I'll I'll sit down and I'll look at, you know, I'll go back through some of the stuff I wrote over at Confessions of a Fanboy, look at some of the reviews I wrote and some of the albums I didn't get around to reviewing, and I'll start cobbling that top ten together, and it'll be showing up soon. Now, El Bicho put together a fantastic, fantastic list on the 2007 Music Awards. He's got some pretty original awards, and I know at least one might just bug the pair of you. (laughs) <laughs> it, did. it His best song of the year, he said, is from Perry Farrell's Satellite Party, "Wish Upon a Dog Star." Um, I would say, I would say, I, I could understand why he'd pick that one. And, and like he he indicates in his article, it's not because of deep lyrical content or or some sort of you know character driven anything. It, it really is just about wanting to hit repeat and listen to the funky funky music over and over again it's a pretty good song he, he picked trouble. a shark for me but um i i, I follow him the uh, best instrumental Humphrey mcgee wizard burial ground something he tracked down not available on an album let's see the best album he picked uncle earl's waterloo tennessee or uh, the close second being cowboy junkies at the end of the paths taken he also had the album Most Likely to Put a Smile on Your Face, Tony Trishka's Double Banjo Bluegrass Spectacular. I suppose whether it's a smile or a grimace depends a lot on the kind of person that you are.
0: I, I, have, to, I have to take exception to that statement. Uh, really? That's a fantastic album. Um, and I, I, I have to admit that a couple of years ago, you probably would never have heard me say that, But a little over a year ago, my husband decided he needed to learn how to play a musical instrument, and he picked up the banjo, and we started listening to bluegrass, which I never really had listened to much of before. And uh, since then, we've seen Tony Trishka uh, twice in person, um, the last time uh, actually right after Thanksgiving. And this music is just incredible. And well, there you go. And yes, sometimes it's incredibly corny. Um, banjo players have a sense of humor that, uh, you know, really uh, we were talking about this earlier at dinner, and yes, it, it really does sort of fall into the corny category, but that doesn't make it any less fun. And I sort of defy anyone to listen to this album and, and not smile for at least part of it. And, mm. and Steve Martin plays on this album. Right.: And if you only have heard Steve Martin uh, play banjo on SNL or something like that, uh, he is a very, very serious player.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd heard him on NPR doing a bit, probably in promotion for this album, and he is, in fact, skilled.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean to, to, share, to share a stage with Tony Trishka and Bella Fleck, who right. are one of Trishka's students, um, you've, you've got to be, you know you've got to know how to play. And so, uh, yeah, I think I think this is a really great album.
1: Well, best album title of 2007, Elbitro Awards to Electric Six for their album I Shall Exterminate Everything Around Me That Restricts Me From Being the Master. That's wow. almost as good as what I would have picked for last year. Uh, Yo, Tango's, I'm not afraid of you, and I will beat your ass.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that is a good album title. Best compilation of one artist. TV Ray Bonds, Solos, Sessions, and Encores, coupled with the best competition of various artists, Ricky J plays poker. How's that for fun? The best box set he awarded to the complete on the corner sessions, which I've heard a good portion of and I have to say is absolutely, absolutely fantastic. The best concert from one band, Dr. Ralph Stanley and his Clinch Mountain Boys at the El Rey Theater, Los Angeles, February 19th. The best concert festival was Vagus in Las Vegas, Nevada, October 26th and 27th, featuring Rage Against the Machine, Daft Punk, and The Stooges, apparently very instrumental in his choice. The best party in the parking lot goes to widespread panic at the Orpheum Theater, Los Angeles, June 30th. (laughs) The strangest mix of audience members, Willie Nelson at the Orange County Fair, July 13th. Hmm. The concert that created the most air positions in the crowd,
2: Rush,
1: at Verizon Wireless Amphitheater in Irvine, July 25th. The lamest concert audience, the attendees of the police, at the Honda Center, Anaheim, June 21st. And he also awarded them a bonus prize, Worst Gouging of the Public. Now here's one of my favorite awards. Female artist I would like to break up with to hear the album she would create in the aftermath. Joan Osborne. That would be pretty scary. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Joan also wins Best Cover of the Year with uh, Bill Withers' Ain't No Sunshine. And in fact, we've got a list of the top ten cover songs as chosen by Donald Gibson, which I hope we can squeeze in here. But I did sort of skip over one award El Bicho gave in the interest of time, and that was Most Overhyped Song. Can you guess it? I know Radio Nowhere by Bruce Springsteen.
0: He's did a big hole
1: have- wrong for that. A <laughs> big bowl of wrong. A heaping helping of STFU, does he?
0: There is that too. no accounting for people's taste.
1: Yeah. Hmm. You know, El well, is great and I got he he made a brief cameo on last week's um B concept album program and um he's not often wrong. Uh, he he just happens to be on this one. Um Radio Nowhere is fantastic, and it's just a testament to how strong Magic is as a record. That that's no longer even one of my favorite songs on the disc, but um, it's, it's it's a really good song. Hmm. Well, we mentioned briefly cover songs. Uh, El Bicho thought that Joan Osborne deserved an award for best cover song of two thousand seven. Well, Don Gibson disagrees because he's got a list of the top cover songs of 2007 and uh, Joan Osborne doesn't make it. He awards number 10, Can't Get It Out of My Head, covered by Velvet Revolver, an old ELO track. And then uh, Aaron McCown. Yeah. McCown can mimic just about anybody's voice. I believe he could probably do a convincing Jeff Lynn impression. Sure. Aaron McCown does Paper Moon on her album Sing You Sinners. Queens of the Stone Age covered Going Out West. And I, I heard this one, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I suppose I'll in, just infuriate a lot of Tom Waits fans by saying I prefer the Queens of the Stone Age album cover. Sad, sorry. Cat Power covered Stuck Inside Mobile with the Memphis Blues again on the not uh, their soundtrack. And uh, according to some people, at least, she seems to do as well as Dylan did or better. Herbie Hancock and Nora Jones did a cover of Quirk and Spark, the old Joni Mitchell track. Nora Jones is the best at whatever she decides to do, period.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's another record that's going to show up on on my top ten, her her Not Too Late album, Fabulous. Excellent album. You'll get no disagreement with me there. Uh, Babyface did a cover of, the, uh, of Longer, which uh, Donald Gibson points out is uh, held added poignancy in light of Dan Fogelberg's untimely passing. The Stereophonics actually covered an old hot chocolate song, You Sexy Thing. That song is so iconic, I'm skeptical of anybody covering it, but you know that might, that might be good. I I have to say, I don't think I've heard the Stereophonics version, and it's hard to imagine anyone other than Hot Chocolate singing it, so I'm making a note here to to look that one up. And uh, one of my favorites from the... uh, By the way, the the Across the Universe soundtrack is just fantastic. I just want to put in a, a, a rave for that one. And one of the picks here is Bono and Secret Machines covering I Am the Walrus for that very soundtrack. Just uh, I- I've heard good and bad things both about the movie. All I know is the soundtrack is fantastic. Patti Smith covered "Give Me Shelter." I'm not a Stones fan, so uh, I prefer the Patti Smith version myself. Oh, uh, wrong, wrong, wrong. wrong. <laughs> uh, "Give Me Shelter." Uh, that that's in my top five Stones songs ever, and um, it could be in my top five Stones songs ever, and I still wouldn't like it. You know what? Philip, mute yourself. You're fired. <laughs> Sorry, I'm all, I'm all about the Beatles. Love the Beatles, wish- hate the Stones. I don't know why it has to be mutually exclusive with me, but it does. Well, it shouldn't be mutually exclusive. I wish I had my crickets button for you. <laughs> well, then finally, the number one uh, cover song of 2007, according to Donald Gibson, is Just Like Starting Over, covered by The Flaming Lips. That actually comes from the Instant Karma Amnesty International Campaign to Save Dark yeah. album. Which gets a terrible covers the on there. Most earnest album title of the year, I think, quite possibly. Well, we, we are actually out of time, I have to say. So thank you very much to Matt, to Josh, to Lisa for carving uh, plenty of time out of Boxing Day this fine holiday. Uh, This has been BC Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, so be sure to visit blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio to type your questions and comments in the chat room, uh, watch the live video feed. Unfortunately, it's just me. If you missed the live broadcast, audio archives are available online, or you can subscribe to the podcast to have BC Radio Live delivered to you each week. Find out more about BC Radio Live and all the other shows on the BC Radio Network at blogcritics.org slash bcradio next week will be January 2nd 2008 I will be right here on bc radio live and I hope you will too